I'd like to present an idea. For an addict, it's not unreasonable to take radical steps toward self-betterment. Suppose you considered yourself addicted to supernormal stimulus. You'd notice, of course, that its presence was pervasive and all around you, almost like you were an alcoholic working at a bar. Except that in this case, in the case of supernormal stimuli, you're not afforded ultimate control over your sensory intake. Good luck trying to block out sights, sounds, smells, or otherwise, especially those focus grouped and continuously engineered to better hijack your attention. This reality, rather, of addiction to comfort is more like trying to quit voluntary consumption of alcohol while being subjected to forced down hourly shots of vodka. Here, I will examine the comfort war through the lens of addiction, providing a rough outline of the scientific phenomena that I often refer to as being consumed by passion. The comfort warrior finds his or herself distraught, feeling that they lack the faintest sense of motivation within a life saturated by meaninglessness, and yet that couldn't be further from the truth. A roaring ambition resides deep within them. It's only that they've been overcome by its constant, obsessive intensity. They've suffocated it under layers of comfortable indulgence, consumed by their own passion, prone to bouts of despair and frustration. They are, for brief moments, vividly aware that they are not themselves, that they are not the way they should be. And only by leaving themselves ungratified by cheap stimuli does it surface their awareness in a booming, riotous salvo of self-discovery, self-discipline, and the pursuit of clarity. Let's start by examining dopamine and endorphins. To briefly describe the function of these brain chemicals, we'll take a look at two studies conducted on mice. In the first, researchers knocked out their dopamine receptors and the mice would not eat food that was placed right in front of them and would starve to death. However, they would enjoy chew and swallow food that was placed in their mouths directly. In the second, researchers knocked out the endorphin receptors of infant mice, and when separated from their mother, they would not cry out to her, despite this behavior constituting a death sentence in the wild. Dopamine is a stimulant that incentivizes us to pursue and seek. Endorphins are indigenous morphine-like substances that make possible the experience of love, literally passion, while also acting as a natural painkiller and inducing a sense of oblivion. In gratifying our senses, adapting them to increasing levels of stimulation, we desensitize the same mechanisms that drive us forward. In experiencing trauma, loneliness, or any other form of psychological pathology, we pine for replacing this cardinal sense of inattention, of escaping ourselves, of comfort. Keith Richards, the Rolling Stones guitarist, said of his heroin dependence, the contortions that we go through, just not to be ourselves for a few hours. And yet, despite this result, your dopaminergic neuroadaptation can be remediated by leaving it unstimulated. 
Just like if you were to get used to a strong smell or a bright light, but given enough time without it, reset back to normalcy. This has been aptly demonstrated by the research of doctors Douglas J. Lyle and Alan Goldheimer, authors of The Pleasure Trap, who took patients accustomed to junk food and returned them to a state of finding nutritious, healthy food to be delicious. And in regards to psychological pathology, of course, you should seek to amend any circumstance in your life entailing unnecessary suffering. Still, the comfort war is as much about discovering your paradise as it is about being capable of living without it. Even our most basic instinctual needs can be overcome by conscious observation and pursuing clarity. Take solitude as an example. Denying of our basic need for companionship is considered the worst punishment even for those living among sociopaths in prison but was still voluntarily elected for decades at a time and overcome by many seekers of enlightenment throughout history. The brain is plastic. Through experience, it configures neurological pathways in accordance with incoming sensory data. This neuroplasticity is a remarkable phenomena that allows us to exhibit profound versatility, but likewise, is the cause of our most stubborn habits and disorders. In recent years, an abnormality has surfaced that precisely illustrates this effect as it relates to supernormal stimuli and from which we can draw some fascinating conclusions. I present to you the case of the PIED phenomena, porn-induced erectile dysfunction. See, pornography-induced ED is nothing like regular ED. It affects primarily young people, not old, and in fact, is most commonplace among those who are very sexually active when alone, not hindered in this aspect by any physiological problem. What has happened to them is that the protein that modifies through neuroplasticity, the way in which the pathways between brain areas interact as they relate to reward and addiction, called delta-fos-B, has adapted their brains to react sexually to the sensory input of pornography as opposed to regular partners. Delta-FOS-B is encoded in humans by the FOS-B gene, and research suggests that it is induced into the brain's reward center via stimulants such as dopamine. What this means is that activities that produce dopamine in your brain cause this protein to be created thereby inducing your brain to make the connection between the cues of your experience and the sensation of pleasure. It'll seek out those very cues in the future, and so the brain of those suffering of PIED has created a neural highway for the cues of pornographic experience, such as being seated, watching a screen, being alone, voyeurism, smells, sounds, etc., to induce a dopaminergic effect while neglecting the usual mechanism of arousal bisexual intimacy with a real partner. Sure enough, to overcome pornography-induced CD, participants go through a reboot period, leaving themselves ungratified by porn while forming connections with real partners in normalized environments. However, this process used to be attested online as taking an average of two to six weeks before complete recovery 
yet recent testimonials of those exposed to pornography at a younger age and greater saturation have reported reboot periods of up to 12 or even 24 months before full recovery. This seems to me the canary in the coal mine. Supernormal stimuli is far from having had its final say. In order to successfully cure themselves of their addiction, men and women often go so far as to subject themselves to a higher power that can restore sanity, as stated in the original version of the 12-step program. For an addict, it's not unreasonable to take radical steps towards self-betterment. There's nothing irrational about it. Up against the most fundamental aspects of your nature and nurture, enlisted in a fight you've been losing your entire life, prioritizing the pursuit of mental health, of clarity, is what's demanded of you. You've been consumed by your own passion. Define your daily success and failure by the conduct of an MR. Don't allow yourself to forget that you want it. In the dire depths of subconscious mindlessness, shackle yourself to a conspectus. I want to become better. Thank you for listening.